Jesus gave them this answer, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Now, now, okay. Jesus is developing a concept, or it's being developed for him in this text. That is the concept of judgment. That one of these days, one of these times, there'll be, there'll be a judgment scene set. And we will be called to account for what we have done in this life. But that's, that's a concept that is slipping away from modern civilization. The idea that we will give an account or be accountable, have an accountability or have to give a reckoning or demonstrate a responsibility for what we have done during this lifetime. It's not generally acknowledged in our society that there is such a thing as a judgment, a judgment coming. And as a matter of fact, it has been such a nebulous concept over the centuries that unless we look in the Bible and see what the Bible pages tell us about judgment, and any other religion that is based upon Bible principles, or at least has some influence from the Bible, there, the other civilizations have not come to this concept that there is going to be a final reckoning. That is, when we will stand in front of an actual judge, and at that point, we will give an account, and we will either be consigned to a punishment, or we will be granted a reward. Last week... I talked about the ancient religions and their notion of the continuity of the soul. Most civilizations, modern and ancient, recognize or at least teach that the soul will continue past mortal death. And some of the most ancient concepts have some idea of a reckoning but not really a crystal clear notion of it. None actually talk about the individual standing before a judge in a judgment seat and having, account, having to account for their deeds. 
the ancient Egyptians, I, I mentioned last week that the ancient Egyptians had a process called mummification where they preserved the body because they felt like the body would be, would be of use after a while after the person died and their soul transcended a certain area then came back to claim the body. Now, I also mentioned that they, they uh, when they embalmed, that they removed all the organs from the inside the body. I didn't mention the fact that they did not remove one organ. That was the heart. And they, they mummified the heart. And the reason they did this was because they, they, they thought that, or they taught that, that there was a goddess or, or god called Ma'at in the afterlife who had a feather. And that feather was placed on, on scales. I, you know, I didn't bring my, my little clicker. Can we click my, my, my deal up here, my, my scene? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> we didn't put it on? Okay. Okay, let me describe what it was. <laughs> it was a gavel with a uh, base, and it was a, uh, a scale. So that on either side, of course, you can put good deeds on one side of the scale and bad deeds on the other. Well, what, what they were teaching, what Ma'at was teaching was that they would put a feather on one side of the scale and the heart on the other side. And if the heart was heavier than the feather, then the soul was consigned to destruction. They, they, they uh, taught that they, or they thought, or their myth uh, taught that uh, there was a, a uh, crocodile-headed beast with the body of a leopard and a hippopotamus that consumed the soul if the feather did not outweigh the heart, if the heart outweighed the feather. So that was their concept. So that was a, uh, that was a form of judgment, but it actually was not what we would consider to be a judgment scene. The uh, Grecians employed three kings. Actually, they started out with six gates that the soul would pass through in the afterlife. Then they'd be confronted by six rivers. And these rivers, there was a boatman called Charon who was a ferryman who was to carry them across. Remember the Grecian body had a coin stuck underneath the tongue so that they could pay their fare across a river. There were six rivers. And there were three kings who decided where the individual should go, where the soul should go when it came into the netherworld. The, the first, first place that could go, for, for instance, was Elysium, which was a place of comfort. So they could, if you cross a river, you went to Elysium, maybe. One of these three kings would decide whether you went there or not. And the next one was Aphrodel, Asphodel, which is a place of neutrality and blandness, nothing kind of like our gray area today. That's where they went. And the last one was Tartarus, which is a place of agony and morbidity. So again, there was a, a, a not really a clear concept of a judgment that people were going to stand and actually have an account, a given account for what their behavior has been. The Hindus, the Sikhs, the Jains, and the Buddhists allowed the accumulation of what they call karma, good deeds or good behavior, 
They never really defined good, de good deeds and good behavior. And perhaps it was because there was something like 200,000 different gods in their culture to try to define what good and bad behavior was. But there was a guide called Yama who actually decided uh, which, which sort of a journey the soul would take. Remember the journey the soul took in, in these different religions? There it is. Look at that. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> All right. Anyway, the Yama decided which sort of a, what sort of a journey the soul would, would take as it crossed over from, from its migration from a human soul into a, another human body into another body. It's called a reincarnation. So they decided from three different areas, uh, three different types. You could have a good journey, which is one type. You could have a medium type journey, another one, and, and a lower one. There were three of them. So depending on what, what sort of karma you had when you were on this earth. And it, they, it actually went according to caste systems. If you were wealthy and it had good status, you had a good journey. If you're in middle status, you had sort of a mediocre journey. And then if you actually didn't have much status at all and were poor, you had a bad journey, bad car trip maybe. Anyway, the idea was the transmigration of the soul, but nothing, nothing about judgment. Nothing about how do we know where we're going to end up and who's going to tell us where our eternal destiny is going to be. And will we actually have to give an account? Like I said, our modern civilization is struggling with this concept of responsibility and accountability. To try, trying to determine whether or not we are accountable for our actions. Our court systems are having difficulty now. Not just here, but all over the, all over the world. We're having trouble with it. However, when we, when we turn to the Bible, the Bible is, is a very different sort of a book. The Bible, if you read it, you, all of a sudden you get the impression that there is going to be accountability. There is responsibility. It's cut and dried. It's not nebulous. It's very easy to see. And the Bible says that there is going to be one supreme judge. Jesus just said it was just stated concerning Jesus. That is that the Father had given him all authority because the Father had all authority to begin with to judge. So we are going to answer. The Bible says, we're going to answer and give an account for our behavior while we're in this mortal flesh, in this coil. One of the first things that comes to mind, in my mind, of course, is Adam and Eve. Whenever that God placed them in the Garden of Eden, there's the story. God said, don't do this and do this, and they misbehaved. And they suffered the consequences. Another example, a good example, is when Cain and Abel were told to offer a certain type of sacrifice that God requested. Abel did what God asked him to do, and Cain said he would do what he wanted to do. So he misbehaved. And in his misbehavior, he became jealous of Abel's status or standing with God. And he, he was jealous of what his brother had done, and so he killed him. Cain killed Abel. And when God confronted Abel, and here's the issue in this story, when God confronted Abel and Cain, he told Cain that your brother's blood is crying out to me from the earth. Saying what? He is responsible for what he 
did to his brother. Abel's blood was crying out to God from the, from the grave. Well, we can follow then. And you know, I don't want to mislead you. There have been many during over the course of time that have tried to regulate society, whatever society they were in, ancient or modern. And have tried to make rules and, and uh, commandments and re- regulations. These have gone on for a long time. The Code of Hammurabi may be one of the earliest that we find any indication of, and it, it's on about a two-foot-long steel that gives us some idea of what Hammurabi thought his citizens ought to do in their civic duty to one another. But the Bible is probably most ancient, and it is, in, in fact, the most ancient code of conduct that we have. Now, in that code of conduct and in the writings of the Old Testament, we are very quickly given to know that God is the one who is the final authority and who will judge who behaves or misbehaves in that code of conduct. For instance, Abraham, when he was talking to God and looking down upon the city of Sodom, Gomorrah was the twin sister of Sodom, looking down upon Sodom, and God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their misbehavior, for their immorality, And Abraham got into a discussion with God as to whether or not he would destroy the whole city of Sodom if there were 50 righteous people there. And in in this discussion, Abraham made a, a very interesting statement. He said he called God the judge of all the earth. He said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And of course, he was correct. God is the judge of all the earth and he does right. Other places in the Old Testament tell us very emphatically that God is the judge. He's going to be the one who passes judgment. He's going to be the one who decides where we end up and why we end up there. David said, God is the father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows in Psalm 68, 5. And I I think I keep wondering, well, why did he say that about fatherless and widows? Because basically... Fatherless and widows are the most defenseless and the most vulnerable in society. And so God is going to stand up for the fatherless and the widows. He's going to make sure if you abuse this class of individual, you're going to have to answer for it. That's basically what he's saying. If you abuse the vulnerable, if you abuse those who are weak, God will judge. That's what he's saying. He shall judge the world in righteousness. Psalms chapter 9 and verse 8. And in Psalms chapter 50, verse 2, God is the judge. These are, these are non-conditional non, uh, statements. God is going to judge. He's the one that will judge. The heavens declare His righteousness, for God is judge Himself. Psalms 50, verse 2. Psalms 96, 13, He comes to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with His truth. Now these are statements obviously from the Old Testament. But Paul said in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 23 that God is the judge of all. He's the judge of all. And John declared in the book of Revelation that true and righteous are your judgments. So God is going to judge. Now he has expressed in the Old Testament, we, we do know this, that God has expressed a standard of judgment a rule or a system of morality and immorality. It's called the Ten Commandments. We're we're aware of that. And so God took a certain people called Israel 
And uh, he, didn't, he did not uh, in, involve other nations, but he took a nation of Israel who were the descendants of Abraham, the physical descendants of Abraham, and gave them a law on Mount Sinai, and it's called the Ten Commandments. And as, as we've noted before, as I've probably mentioned it, and you probably remembered it, that uh, the Jewish nation have, has been able to extract 615 laws from the five books of law, the Torah, which we call the Torah, the five books of the early books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy. So we have the Old Testament law, and in that Old Testament law that God gave to Israel, He determined that they would be judged by, the, by this law. This, this nation would be judged by that law. And so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, when Jesus came, He referred back to that fact. And he said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, not one jottle or one tittle shall pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. So the law was to bring the world to the cross of Jesus Christ. And the law stayed intact. When you read the Old Testament, understand it was given to a specific people called Israel. Hear, O Israel. That's, that's uh, what is stated in, in, in the... Uh, book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5. Hear, O Israel, listen to the law. And that's what every Jewish child or adult says before they begin their prayers. It's called the Shema. Shema, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Hear the law. Hear what the law has to say. But Israel was the only people to whom that law was given. The only people. No one else was held responsible to that law, except Israel. Now Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 2, and he talked about the fact that the Gentiles, that those who were outside the law, could do by nature the things contained in the law, their conscience either condemning or condoning what they did. But of course, their conscience could be anything. Their conscience could condemn or, or could... Uh, condone what they were doing and it didn't make, make it right. But there, in many areas, that which is natural, they, they did follow what the law stated as well. But when Jesus came and died on the cross, that law was abrogated, stopped. When he died on the cross, that law ended. So that the law to Israel was no longer in effect after the cross. And it was never in effect to anyone who was not an Israelite. So Israel should have known at that point, it was taught in the New Testament, that they were no longer under that system of law. Though they, they were no longer responsible to that or answerable to it. Paul said that no man is justified. The reason being, of course, the law could not bring a person into a state of righteousness. He said the law is justified, the man is justified by the law in the sight of God, for it is evident that the just shall live by faith. 
So the law is no longer in effect because we are now under a system of faith. He went on to explain that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us under Christ that we might be justified by faith, but after the faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. And that's in chapter 3 of Galatians and verse 24. And this is the system of law. And now we, we need to think for just a minute. And that is, just because the Old Testament law was abrogated does not mean that we are not under a law to Christ. We are under the law to Christ, and that is called by James the law of liberty. James 2 at verse 12 says, To so speak and so do as those who shall be judged by the law of liberty. So, just to, just to be clear, before the cross, the people subject to God and to judgment according to the law were the Israelites. After the cross, the law is no longer in effect. The Old Testament law is no longer in effect. But the law of liberty, which is the law of Christ, is in effect. So when we stand before God in the day of judgment, and we will, we will give an account for the things we have done because of what we read in the New Testament, the New Testament law, the law of liberty. Jesus reminded his listeners in Matthew chapter 12, he reminded his listeners that they would be involved in and be subject to a very rigid set of standards. How rigid is that set? Matthew 12, 36 and 37 says, Jesus said, I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Now every idle word was not accounted for under Old Testament law. But under the law of liberty, every idle word that we speak will we'll give an account for in the day of judgment. That, in my mind, as we begin to think about that, in my mind, that means that judgment begins to loom large over us. There is a judgment coming. And the judgment is going to be so thorough and so complete. And our responsibility will be so broad and so deep that even what we think and say will be brought into that judgment scene final day by your words you shall be justified by your words you shall be condemned now basically we read from the Old Testament that God is judge there would be a day of judgment in the New Testament under Jesus we have to recognize or we do if we're believers that there is going to be a judgment whatever I do in this life in this flesh I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the deeds done in this body, whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. I'll be there. And all of my deeds will be there for me. In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, Paul was talking to the, the uh, Grecian philosophers of his day, standing on Mars Hill. Last week I said he was standing on the Agora, uh, uh, Gra uh, Gra Agora, but he was standing on Mars Hill. And he was speaking to the Grecians who always came there just to hear or say some new thing. And he said, the times of this ignorance, in verse 30, he said, the times of this ignorance, God winked at. In other words, he did not hold you responsible to the Old Testament law. The times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. For he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness 
by that man whom he hath appointed, in that he hath ordained him, in that he raised him from the dead. So he's going, to, he's going to judge everyone by Jesus Christ. In Romans 14 verse 12 says, Every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. We will give an account. We can get away with a lot on this earth with our fellow human beings. Get away with a lot. We can excuse ourselves any, any number of ways. We can avoid sometime having to face the music for what we've done. But the day is coming, the time is coming, when we'll stand before the judgment throne of God, every single individual one of us, and account to God for everything we've done in this body. That's what the New Testament promises. That's what the Bible says. In that day He will judge the secrets of men, Romans 2.16, by Jesus Christ. He'll judge the secrets. What you've thought, Secrets you've held back. Things you've not confided in other people. Secrets. Not things that are obvious and open, but things, secret things in your heart. He's going to expose these. We know Him who has said, Hebrews 10 at verse 30, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is. It's a fearful thought. Like I said, judgment is looming dark over us because it's coming. And if we believe it, if we, if we believe that's going to happen, we know what, what we're going to be involved in. He will, judge, he will judge the quick and the dead at His appearing. 2 Timothy chapter 4 at verse 1. That's the harsh reality. The good and the evil. No one will escape. We often wonder when somebody gets away with something, and we know that they've committed a heinous crime. Have they really gotten away with it? Well, if you believe the Bible, and I believe that you do, you know that that individual is not getting away with anything. We're not going to get away with anything. We're not going to get away with whatever we do. We're not going to get away from the idea that we're going to stand before God and He's going to judge us in terms of what we've done in this body, whether it's been good or bad. It's going to happen. The good news is, now I know if, if it, it's a terrible thing, it's a terrifying thought, that if we've committed a crime, we've done something against society, and we're called before the, a judge, a magistrate, and we're standing there, and we're, we're going to be judged and we're going to be sentenced by that judge for what we've done. And I've... I've, I've been in front of a judge before, and it is, it is a anxious moment. What's going to happen? What, what, what's going to go on? What is he going to say? What am I going to have to do? How am I going to accept the penalty? What's, what's going to take place? Now, I didn't do anything immoral. I'm just saying I, I did something I shouldn't have done, and I had to pay the price. But the point is, it's a terrifying time to stand before a judge and to think if we've committed something that God said you should not have done, to stand before Him and, and give Him an answer. Answer Him. The good news is, however, that we have been given a lawyer to stand with us. It's, he's called an advocate. Jesus Christ. 
I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to have to answer for all I did. We have to think about this a little bit. We have to think about the fact that so, some people do not have an advocate. They don't have Jesus on their side. They don't have a lawyer. They're going to stand in front of the judge and whatever the judge says, they may give an excuse and they're go certainly going to and a rationale. And if we don't have Jesus on our side, if we don't have an advocate, we're going to have to explain why we did what we did, why we thought what we thought, why we said what we said. We're going to have to show a rationale for it and cast ourselves upon the mercy of the court without someone standing by us and saying, I'll help you get through this situation. But that's why the New Testament is called the gospel. It's good news. Because when you stand as a believer before the throne, there'll be one standing there with you. And his name is Jesus. He's called an advocate. He will explain to his father what you did and why you did it. And he will embrace you and comfort you and make sure that you get through it unharmed and without having to pay an enormous penalty of eternal damnation. He's the familiar figure in our lives. You know, every text that I talked about in Judgment New Testament, with the exception of one, talked about the fact that the judgment will be also with Jesus Christ. He's the one who will be the judge and the advocate. He will help us through it. He's the familiar figure. We understand his compassion and his love. We also understand that he's going to stand up for us. If anyone sins, we're told, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, I don't know how the whole world is going to manage this. I don't know how it's going to go. I know one thing. I don't want to be standing by myself before God in judgment. I don't want to be there all alone. I want to be there with Jesus. But I, I, I really am concerned about those who have no advocate that they're going to have to give an account by themselves. Will they make it through? Will they not make it through? What's going to happen? I don't know. I do know that Jesus will be the judge. He will be the mediator. First Timothy chapter 2 and at verse 5. A mediator means that He stands between the two. Mediator between ourselves and God. So Jesus is the judge. He is also the advocate. He is also the mediator. He is the one who will be able to, in the day of judgment, help us manage ourselves and our eternal destiny and give us either a reward or we'll be consigned to another destiny. You know, there's a scene in, in the day of, there's a day of judgment scene in Matthew chapter 25 that talks about the sheep on the right, the goats on the left. The sheep on the right, Jesus said, Come, ye blessed of my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the beginning of the world. And they, he said, When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick and in prison, you visited me. They said, well, when did we do that? And he said, when you've done it to one of the least, the little ones. Well, 
those on the left or those who, who didn't didn't do that. And I've always wondered about that, why why he would say that, just that in particular. But it, it seems to me that he's talking about if, if you're with Jesus Christ, if you're giving your life to him, it will make you the type of person who will clothe the naked. It will make you the type of person who will feed the hungry. Make you the type of person who will visit the sick and in prison. That's the type of person you'll become. I think that's exactly what he's talking about in that sense. But basically, let's, let's, think, let's think about judgment. We're going to be there. It's coming. It's looming over us, and it's looming over our friends, our family, our neighbors. It's going to be there. You need, I need, an advocate, somebody who will stand, I, I cannot imagine standing by myself, trying to justify myself, trying to defend myself, and trying to explain myself, when I know basically there's not much of an explanation I can give for what I've done. But I do know that there's one who's merciful and kind, who loves me, who'll stand there with me and get me through it. God help you make sure that Jesus is on your side in the day of judgment.